SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. How's space? Oh, you know, I haven't thought about space lately. I'm sure it's vast and and empty (laughs) and probably doing just fine. I don't think Sari cares about space, right? Well, I think Sari cares about (laughs) space. I'm pretty sure I've heard her say, I don't care about space. I probably have I, relative to other things. Like yeah. I, I am more excited about science on Earth than science in space. Like relatively speaking, sure. mm-hmm. um, so I don't, uh, I don't pay attention except for when space is doing something particularly exciting. <laughs> yeah, like like a Mars rover. Or something. Right. Can I, can I can I propose to you that if things are going bad on Earth, that's just sort of Earth, you know. Like mm-hmm. it's it's messy here, but if things start going bad in space, <laughs> it it's all over. <laughs> like if it's like if you're like, what's the sun doing? <laughs> like the moment you're saying, what's the sun doing? That's a bad day. 
that's kind of that's kind of the end. If if space begins to destabilize in any measurable way, like we're all about to evaporate. That's the thing though uh, about astronomers and I, I to be clear, I love astronomers, but whenever something weird happens in space, they're very vocal about it cuz space is largely the same to me. Very the, very the other. same. Very yeah. the same. And so when something weird happens, everyone's talking about it. So I'm sure that with my with my mild interest in space mm-hmm. and and my large like what's the opposite of a fall? I follow astronomers talking <laughs> uh, about things. Yeah. So they will be yelling mm-hmm. and I will be and in the know, know if something happens in space without having to study it myself. Uh, oh, and that oh. feels like the perfect relationship to me. Isn't it just always Indeed. like and here's another ball of gas that uh, does this thing instead. Yeah, the the thing, there is a kind of frustrating thing about astronomers where they're like, we found a new type of star. And I'm like, that means nothing to me. <laughs> it's more, more green by 2%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also we're joined by our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Sam, yeah. how is everything except science? Oh, it's not great. <laughs> it's been better. <laughs> you guys got to come help us. Okay, I know we don't we'll want get you on to, it. but you have to. Okay, that's a, that's a good point. That's very true. Every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts while trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory and for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. At the end of every episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. And now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from me. These are rocks. My fingers hurt. I came here for some good soft dirt. No, clay is sticky. That won't work. I came here for some good soft dirt. (laughs) Mud's too wet. It's on my shirt. I came here for some good soft dirt. I need a pickaxe. This is chert. I came here for some good soft dirt. I want to push my hands in it, squish and plant my plants in it, find happy, healthy ants in it, and dirty up my pants in it. Black and loamy smells so sweet, so sweet like a well-cooked perfect beet. The thing we think of when we say earth, dirt, 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 dirt. I love that. That's like like the new uh, kids book of the year. All kids will be shouting dirt. Make dirt, a dirt, mess dirt. in my pants with it? Is that what you said? No. Dirty up my pants with it. That's pretty close to what I said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's what you, dirt. You dirty your pants with it. My I just I just love that I was I was like, oh chert. <laughs> what is chert? That's a, that's a rock. It's a kind of rock. Uh, yeah. Pre-dirt. It's actually post-dirt. It's sedimentary. Excuse me. It could be dirt again, right? Eventually. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Cycles dirt. Yeah. Sari, uh, legitimately, because I don't think I could answer this question, what the fuck is dirt? <laughs> so to define dirt, I first need to define soil. Oh, no, they're not the same. They're similar. But from what I can tell, Soil scientists prefer you call it soil, and then dirt is displaced soil. Oh, so. so soil is like I'm I'm here doing my my soil thing, and then you grab it and you put it in your hand, and like I'm dirt now. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. If you like, <laughs> once you track soil into the house, that's like, oh man, that's dirt. <laughs> yeah. But outside, it's doing its soil thing. So whenever there's wow. like a bag of soil at the at the garden store, that's a lie. Yeah, that's, it's that's dirt, dirt, I think. Yeah. Displaced. Mm-hmm. But what they have in common is that <laughs> there are 
comprised of solids, so like a mixture of minerals and organic matter that's either in the middle of decomposing um, or decomposed into very small particles, liquids like water, mm-hmm. but also other things, and gases because there's also mm, like space. little pockets in yeah. soil, like of sometimes nitrogen gas, but oxygen gas, other things that are in the atmosphere are also in the soil. And then also like all the ecosystem that mm. exists and there's like the soil ecosystem, which is as Hank listed, ants and worms and <laughs> microorganisms. Hank didn't list it. He only listed ants. He listed ants. I guess that he listed a list. ants. Yeah, it rhymed with pants. Okay. List, can a list be one? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you got a list of one. Sari, what is a list? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, ants, fungi, plant mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, that's all in soil. And then as you start going down further, you're not in soil anymore. So like the top layer is mostly leaf litter and and humus, uh, not hummus, but it's decomposed organic matter. And then below that, where you like germinate seeds is topsoil. So I would say those two layers of the sandwich still soil. Mm-hmm. And then below those are mostly like sand and silt and it's like starts getting rockier and then the further down you go the rockier it gets and then you're out of soil territory completely dirt is complex is the main thing dirt is not just like i'm just hanging out and like you dirt doesn't exist without life it is a it is a byproduct of of a living ecosystem yeah and it's such a byproduct of a living ecosystem that it requires us humans or our domesticated animals to move it from outside to somewhere else for us to call it dirt. They have to get it under our fingernails. And it's like, why are your fingernails so dirty? And no one has ever said, uh, my fingernails are soily. (laughs) I've soiled my fingernails. (laughs) Yeah, they would say that. (laughs) Soiled is weird because you do not need soil to soil something. No. Poop can no. do it. The job just fine. It's <laughs> the main way that I hear about that I hear about things being soiled. But there yeah. is poop in soil. And speaking of the two meanings of soil, they come from the same root, oh. but they diverged around the 13th or 12th century, hmm. which I thought was interesting. So they they both come from the root sed to sit, or the Proto-Indo-European sodio which means sit. Oh, interesting. Why is soil from sit? Because you sit on the Because you sit on it? Ground? I think it, it went to like a pig stat. So like soil is the oh. the defiled, like the poopy version. Okay. Uh, came from like pig sty or tub, like to wallow. And then from there, it went to, to defile or to like splatter with mm. mud or make dirty. And then as far as like soil... The, the earth material that you touch that's soft, it came from area or place or ground. So like you can sit on the ground and it's like an area. And so I guess if you referred to soil as like a pigsty or soil as ground that you own or can like right, trot on, right, right. Then, then those are the two. The two. That's, okay. that's where it diverged. <laughs> what about dirt? Oh, dirt? Dirt? I don't know where dirt came from. It, it, we just decided to start using it around 1300 to the 15th oh, century. So that's, that's like pretty late. 1400s. Yeah. So dirt came after soil. Okay. 
And it was after we were using the words earth and mud. Oh, uh, yes. I the think. thinking man word for dirt. And then we were like, dirt is anything gross. Like poop was dirt. But now I think moving into modern times, dirt is more specifically synonymous with soil. And so now it is time to move on to the quiz portion of our show where we have more rhymes for our- Is it rhyme time again? Well, it's a different kind of rhyme time. Oh, okay. We got two different versions of rhyme time. One where I just make you say words. (laughs) (laughs) And then one that's much more the wait, wait, don't tell me, hey, you have to come up with the last word of the rhyme. Rhyme time has diverged. Just like dirt and soil or whatever. Mm -hmm. Evolution is taking place and now they are two completely different species. (laughs) All right. It's rhyme time 2.0 or is it called guess that rhyme? I don't know what it's called. So I will tell you a poem. It is four couplets and you will have to tell me the last word of the poem. And it is what the poem is discussing. And now we will begin. The dirt in drylands faces the constant threat that drought will leave it even more unwet. And over time, with rain clouds inert, those drylands may turn into desert. But lo, our hero enters on a quest, though we may know it as a pest. The mounds it builds keep moisture tight, for the savior of drylands is the mighty... Termite. Termite. That's correct. You probably don't want to find termites uh, in your house or anywhere near your home because they will eat all of the wood that your house is made out of. But there are also termites (laughs) that build their own mounds out of soil and saliva and dung. And those mounds are remarkable structures on their own, but they also are a tremendous aid to the drylands of Africa, South America, and Asia, where the mounds store nutrients and moisture and help water get into the soil. And scientists have found that drylands are better able to survive as drylands lands, meaning they don't turn into deserts, with less rain when they have termite mounds. It's possible that other mound builders like ants and prairie dogs may also help their ecosystem in a similar way. Wow. But they don't really know how they're doing it? Yeah, no, not really. Like, the the main thing is that they do. How it exactly works, I don't know. Well, I didn't even try to guess. I was like, mole doesn't rhyme with any of those words. (laughs) I was waiting for erosion and then i was like oh no pivot pivot (laughs) all right poem number two petrichor is the smell of dirt that's rained on the product of bacteria living within our lawn but though we know the source of the scent we know less about the purpose for which it is meant But one recent result suggests a goal universal to attract animals that aid in bacterial dispersal. And so it's possible that this earthly petrichor is used to drive the spread of bacterial... Spore? Yeah! (laughs) These are smart people ones. They are, yeah. That's the This is ultimately, if you want to blame someone, this is all Deboki's doing. It's not me at all. I've been writing for Deboki for like two years now for Crash Course Organic Chemistry, so we are on the same wavelength. <laughs> I'm much more at Hank's speed. So you know Petricor, it's that that smell when it, there's lots of rain. 
Uh, and it's uh, due to an organic compound called geosmin, which is made by microbes, particularly the bacteria Streptomyces. And while some insects like fruit flies are turned off by geosmin, to pot potentially to avoid toxins, there are other animals that are drawn to it, like the springtail, which is an arthropod, but it is not an insect. And when studying the relationship between springtails and Streptomyces, researchers found that the springtails were drawn to the smell of geosmin, possibly because it helped them find food and in exchange, the Streptomyces would use the springtails as a vehicle to attach their spores to. Oh, pollinating. Yeah, Streptomyces is like, hey, it's wet over here. There might be food. And the springtails are like, yes, excellent. And then the Streptomyces is like, ding, carry my baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bus to school. Is that the thing that people like, that maybe people evolved to be able to smell it so good because it helps them find water back in? Yeah, yeah, I think we've talked about that on a previous episode, that mm -hmm. geosmin is weirdly one of the things we are best at smelling mm. in the whole, in the whole world. Yeah. All right, last poem. Come on back, Sam. To explore the boundaries of our next frontier, we apply the lessons of our earthly sphere, like how microbes and fungi break down rock to release the nutrients for future plant stalks. But can they succeed in microgravity? Well, let's fly them up to see their activity. And so we've sent microbes into the void to see if they can mine very old... Asteroids? No. That <laughs> is correct. I'm sorry, say I should have waited. It's okay. Yeah, it didn't seem like he, it didn't seem like he was close. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to count. I think the rule officially of this game is that Hank is supposed to count nah. to three, and we try to say it at the same time. But did you have it? No. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> In the year 2020, the bioasteroid experiment was launched, with SpaceX delivering bioreactors to the ISS that held pieces of a 4.5 billion-year-old chondrite asteroid. Aboard the ISS, the asteroid pieces would be mixed with various combinations of the bacteria Sphingomonas desicabilis and the fungus Penicillum simplicissimum. I think. These microbes have been tested on in other biomining experiments, and the goal of the experiment was to see whether they can help us extract material from asteroids in microgravity and maybe even break the rock down into soil. Shouldn't just start flinging bacteria out into the cosmos, should we? It definitely uh, is the plot of bad science fiction stories. All right, well, Sari Riley has racked up some points, but who knows what will happen when we come back from our short break for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. 
Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Special Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as (laughs) the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? (laughs) Good. Here's what I'll tell you. Like the, 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 the part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, <laughs> yeah. Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome back, everyone. It's time for the fact off. Our panelists have brought a science fact to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. After you have presented your facts, I will judge them and award the Hank Bucks any way I see fit. And to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question for you. A crater on Mars and the Dokuchev Award for soil science are both named for Vasily Dokuchev, a Russian scientist credited with laying the groundwork for modern soil science. Among his contributions to the field is his system for describing the natural soil-forming factors. How many factors are included in Dokuchev's factors for soil formation? So these are like the things that are necessary and a part of the formation of soil. Sarah's counting on her fingers. She, she might have an idea. I'm just guessing. I mean, you're guessing with with the counting, though. So, yeah. like, what is one of them? Poop. Oh, I love soil that. Soil comes from poop. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... Like, imagine the conversation we just had. Uh-huh. And then just, like, think of how to categorize those. That's all I do is, like, I try to categorize. Okay, so, like, okay, poop is different from organic matter decaying. So that's two right there, which is different from rocks breaking down that's giving you Mm. these for free sam (laughs) no i'm already making my own list so i'm not even listening to your list okay well so these factors i'll i'll give you hints here 
All of those are one of them. Oh, oh. shit. So like your starting material is, is one of the factors. But oh. then there are other things that are necessary for that starting material to become soil. Can I, I'm going to go first. And okay. I'm name okay. all the ones I think it is. Water. Wind. Wildlife. The three W's of soil <laughs> formation. Okay. The history of the area, like what you just said, the, the starting mm-hmm. point, and the X factor. Five. Okay. Sam's going for a five. I'll go with four. I also got water, wind, and then starting material, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then the Z factor okay. for What's that? zappy sunlight or, or like whatever energy input into the system. Oh, shit. I didn't think of that one. Doesn't matter. Sam got it right. Exactly <laughs> correctly with five. They are the climate of the area, the relief which means topography, oh, so like the, yeah. the relief of the area. The organisms, so the life, mm-hmm. the parent material, so whatever you started with that was there in the first place, and time. None of you thought about time, but that is a very important factor. Time is the X factor. That's the X factor, time. Terry, I'm going to go first this time. I'm going to be brave. Is that okay with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got the X factor, Sam. Time is on your side. In 1797... A man named William Tuttle bought 300 acres of farmland in southern Maine near Portland. This was 300 acres of good, honest dirt, and he turned that dirt into a thriving farm and ranch. So for the next few decades, William Tuttle and his family farmed the land, mainly growing potatoes, and they raised animals like sheep and cattle that grazed on the land. But the Tuttles were making a couple of classic farming errors, overgrazing and failure to rotate their crops. So when animals graze, they pull up plant roots, and plant roots help keep soil in place. And as we just learned, if you don't have soil in place, it's just dirt. So if you have too many animals grazing, they pull up the roots and the soil can wash away or blow away or just go away in general. And when crops are growing, they draw minerals from soil. So different crops need different minerals and deposit different minerals back into the dirt. And farmers have like very complicated systems of crop rotation where they'll plant something in the dirt to put something back Mm -hmm. then they will put something else to grow something else. And if they don't rotate the crops, especially in the age before lots of chemical fertilizers and stuff like that, like William Tuttle is living in, in in 1700s, then the soil will again blow away, wash away, whatever. (laughs) So the Tuttles were doing both of these things. And one day they noticed something weird. The soil was eroding, and in places where it was eroding, what was left behind was sand. And that's because the Tuttles had another problem besides overgrazing and mineral-depleted soil. And that problem started tens of thousands of years ago when glaciers were slowly scraping across Maine. And they were so heavy that they're making huge divots all across like, like glaciers are wont to do. And when the glaciers cleared out, they left behind these huge holes and then sand for some reason tons and tons and tons of sand blew into and collected in Maine so southern Maine is like the most sandy part of Maine too and there are sand deposits that get to be like 80 feet deep under the topsoil whoa so back in the 1800s not millions of years ago the sandy patches under the soil at the Tuttle's farm started to widen, but the Tuttle's kept trying to farm the land until the sand claimed 40 acres, and then they abandoned it in 1890, which was almost exactly 100 years after William Tuttle had first bought the land. So the farm sat abandoned for a long time, and dunes built up, and the buildings and farm equipment that they left behind sunk completely into the sand and just disappeared under the sand. And it kind of became like a local curiosity until 1919, 
when it officially became a tourist trap, a guy named Henry Goldrup bought it for $300. And capitalizing (laughs) on the fact that it was so sandy and that it was also usually 20 degrees hotter there than the actual temperature of whatever whatever the actual temperature was, Uh he named it the Desert of Maine. And he bought like a live camel and he like... (laughs) Got like all kinds of desert props and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So now a days, I suppose that camel's probably dead, and there's just a fiberglass camel. But you can still go there and take a tram tour of this ruined farm that is now a desert, and visit like a museum and make sand art and camp. Uh, and still, nothing really looks like it's growing there except for these pine trees, which have figured out a way to grow by, I guess, finding a solid layer underneath all of that sand. And they grow 50 feet trunks up through all the sand. And then just their little tippy tops are poking out the top of it. But they're really 50 feet tall and growing <gasps> in dirt under the sand. Oh, wow. That's cool. And that's the desert of Maine. You have to know that Maine is not a very deserty place for that to be impressive. But oh yeah, Maine. This is like right on the right on the sea and everything. Yeah, yeah. it's a wet. It's a wet place, but there's just nothing in the. Not there's just too much sand. There's nothing in the dirt. Yeah, it's still it, like it, they in the articles I was reading. It it makes it takes pains to mention how wet it is in that particular area, and it can rain and rain all it wants to, but nothing's happening. That's, I mean, that's gotta be so disappointing. Like imagine being a farmer and being like, you know, I got a farm. This is my farmland that I bought. It's growing things just fine. And then you're like, oh, it's 80 feet of sand with like a one inch layer on top of it. There's plenty of other farming happening in the area. I think, they made it I think work. the Tuttles just did a kind of a bad job of farming. Mm. Sari, what do you have for us? So as we've been talking about, dirt isn't just annoying dust. It's microorganisms and insects and fungi and minerals and water and gases and plant roots. So that means there's a lot of variety of dirt, even just on Earth. And some of the most extreme dirt is the geothermal soil in Yellowstone National Park. Extreme dirt! Yeah. (laughs) A little local science story where you do not want to be walking bare feet or planting carrot seeds or dirtying your pants in it. Because temperature-wise, it gets up to 65 degrees Celsius or 149 degrees Fahrenheit. And mineral-wise, there's a lot of silicon, and it's generally pretty basic in pH. That's Mm -hmm. more normal, but the temperature uh, and the hot water and steam make it seem like a place where the soil ecosystem would be kind of barren because it's just too hot for anything to exist. Instead, though, it does what ecosystems do best and thrives thanks to symbioses. So there's a species of panic grass called Diachanthelium linugiosum. I did my best. And it's named panic grass because it's in the panicum genus, coming from the Latin word panicum, meaning ear of millet, which is like a type of grain, not directly related to the Latin panicus, meaning terror, derived from the god pan and scary noises. So different panic, grain-boring panic. And so this not-terrified panic grass would normally have its roots shrivel at anything above 38 degrees Celsius or 100 degrees Fahrenheit. But there's also a fungus called Curvularia protuberata, which tangles itself into plant roots and cell structures. And the fungus helps the plant absorb more nutrients and water, like extra roots. And the plant shares its food and resources with the fungus. And at first, scientists thought that was the end of the story. Together, this plant and fungus could live in harmony and survive hot temperatures and drought and odd mineral combinations. But in 2007, they dug deeper and found out that there's actually a virus that infects the fungus that attaches to the plant. An RNA virus called... Curvularia thermal tolerance virus, 
And without the protein it encodes, the whole heat-tolerant mutualism wouldn't happen and the plant and fungus would both shrivel. Mm. We don't know the exact mechanism. When the fungus is infected, we think it could make compounds that help dissipate heat somehow or signal the plant to protect itself and therefore the fungus from stress. And that's cool on its own, like this three-way symbiosis. But it may also be important research as the climate warms because a fungus plus a virus conferring stress tolerance, and particularly with higher temperatures to plants, may be important in future crop hybrids. So just in case we need a little doom and gloom on the, on the <laughs> end of that fact, cool that it exists, but also may become agriculturally necessary. How does a three-way mutualism in an extreme soil evolve? That I have seems, no idea. That seems It just seems like tricky. a weird thing. Three crazy kids just made it work. That's right. Just like us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which one are you, are you two? Which <laughs> I want to be the virus. That one's the little guy. I feel like Hank is the plant. I might be the plant. Well, I don't know. It may be that you're the plant and I'm the fungus. Sarah's like stately and elegant, and then you're just like, hey, I'm down here too. I'm a mushroom. I'm the panic grass. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense too. And now it is time for me to choose between Sam with his bad farming practices and odd geological events from ancient uh, history combining to create a desert in coastal southern Maine, despite the fact that it is quite rainy and wet there, or Sari with a a plant, a fungus, and a virus joining forces to be able to survive in the high-temperature soil of Yellowstone National Park, and it was a deep deficit to try and uh, and to try and uh-huh. remove yourself from Sam. And I think uh-huh. I think that you just you didn't you didn't make it out. <laughs> <sighs> Gonna put a toilet flushing sound in in right now. Here it is. <laughs> it's me going down the crapper. Uh, it's time to ask the science couch where we've got a listener question for a couch of finely honed scientific minds. It's from at Shed Tyler and at Magniloquent Mel. Both ask, there's an expression uh, to rub or throw some dirt on it in reference to treating a small wound. Is that actually a practical method of wound dressing? Um, first of all, I've never heard rub some dirt on it. You haven't? No. Oh, I've never heard it. Get hurt on the football field kind of thing. Yeah, I didn't play outside with enough people. No one Uh, would have yelled, rub some dirt in it to me. In Florida, we say, smack it with a frog. (laughs) (laughs) You can treat wounds with frog skin. So that's That's probably better. Smack it with a frog. Don't actually, you don't know what's on that frog. Uh, Also, probably don't rub some dirt in it. Now, I know that people have used mud as a, a wound dressing, but... I can't imagine that it's better than anything that we currently have. We've said dirt has poop in it like 10 times in this episode. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things you don't want in your body is poop. Unless it's like where it's supposed to be. <laughs> and even then you don't want it for very yeah, long. You like you, you evacuate it's that. True. Every it's true. It's like, true. <laughs> once it's poop, I think let's get rid of it. On the offset, do not rub dirt in your wounds. Unsterilized soil can lead to infection. And even sterilized soil, if you killed all the stuff in it, why would you do that, really, mm-hmm. um, when there are better medical treatments out there? Couldn't find anything as to where it comes from, idiom-wise, but I assume that it's from using clay, which is not quite dirt, as as a wound dressing, like Hank said. Clay differs from dirt because of, I think, the type of minerals that it includes. Besides, like, you can look at clay and be like, it's used for pottery, and it's stickier, and it's wet, and it's more solid. But, like, chemically, that means... 
that there's more like silicon compounds, aluminum compounds, magnesium compounds, and water. But also there could be potassium, sodium, and calcium. So a handful of different chemicals that basically make it like clumpier and mm. and like the moist clay that we're used to. And clay has been used as early as 5,000 years ago to um, heal wounds because you didn't really have much first aid technology, but mm. like clay was something that was moldable. It was cool and could like stick onto a surface. And around 1600 BC, the Ebers papyrus, which is recognized as the world's oldest medical text, uh, recommended using clay for ailments like tapeworm, hookworm, dysentery, diarrhea, wounds, and abscesses. And so I think for quite a while it was used as a topical treatment. I don't really know what you're supposed to do with diarrhea and clay. Plug um, <laughs> you, like, your butt. It. Uh. Yeah, I guess plug <laughs> up your butt. Well, if you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Charlatelie or Charlatelie, I'm not sure, at Rima Rose and everybody else who tweeted us your question for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, here's a way you can do it. Go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents and become a patron to get access to our newsletter and our bonus episodes. We just recorded our bonus episode today for the for this month. Uh, we talked about the future of science. We got real. Yeah, we did get real. You know, maybe we came out of it not feeling as better as we had anticipated. Yeah, rough way to start your Tuesday morning. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. But I think it's all very, it was, yeah, it's all very important stuff and, and was a great chat to have with you guys. So thanks for having it with me. And you can have that if you go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for the show, you can just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. Sideshow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarty. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. The pink fairy armadillo is a cute pink little armadillo from Argentina whose Mm -hmm. shell is connected to its spinal column through a thin membrane and gets its pinkish hue from the blood vessels that are visible through the shell. So since the shell is so thin, that means it's not really super strong armor and it probably isn't very helpful in terms of protection like maybe other armadillo shells are. Mm -hmm. But it still does come in handy because they are a burrowing creature and when they when the pink fairy armadillo burrows, it has a special butt plate that it uses to push back against the dirt that it has just dug up to compact the walls and build itself a little house with its butt. Wow. I've never looked at a pink fairy armadillo's butt, but I am now, and it's spectacular. It's big and flat for making a house. <laughs>